0: Merry Christmas everyone, I want to welcome you to Connect Community Church as we celebrate our Savior's birth. If you're here for the first time, or maybe you haven't been here in a while, we're uh, enjoying a series entitled Songs of the Savior, where we're taking a look at some of the classic carols that we all grew up with, know, and love. What we're wanting to do though is bring meaning to the moments of Christmas. Sometimes it's made to be somewhat trivial or overlooked, it's just over in a flash. And so we want to go back and look at maybe what they experienced and bring it forward to where we are here today. Our song today that we're going to highlight is Silent Night. Silent Night was penned as a poem in 1817 by Pastor Joseph Moore. Joseph Moore was not an instrumentalist but he had a good friend Francis Gruber or Franz Gruber not Goober Gruber and he was an organist, and he actually played a little guitar, which will be important later. In 1819, Pastor Joseph Moore, or as I like to say, Jomo, Pastor Jomo was feverishly preparing for a Christmas Eve service, much like we've done to prepare for this service, to make it the best he possibly could. But what was difficult was, as he went to prepare, he went to check with his organist to see if they'd be ready with all the music, and the organ had kicked the bucket. The organist, the organ. And determined as a result of this unfortunate circumstance, he began to pray and think about what could he do to save the Christmas Eve service from its own demise. And so right as he began to pray, God reminded him of this poem that he'd written a couple years before, Silent Night. So he took that poem, kind of put it in his pocket, and he went to see his friend Franz Gruber brought it to Franz and said, can you save me? Can you help me? Is there anything you could do? Because we don't have an organ. I know you play a little guitar. Would it be possible for you to put this to music? Well, Franz, under very little time, uh, with very little preparation, was successful in being able to put this, this poem to music. And for the first time, this song was played by Franz on the guitar, not an organ. It's a song we now know and love but it was first played on a guitar. Anyway, later on, the Christmas Eve service went on. That night, just after midnight, in a candlelight sanctuary in St. Nicholas Church, somewhere in Austria, this new song hit the hearers of a faithful few churchgoers for the very first time. It was the beginning of something incredibly special. Not long after being written, that song was played for King William IV. And due to, in part to the favor of King William IV, it grew in popularity and great acclaim. It continued to grow and increase and travel throughout the region and even beyond. And you could say that time passed and by the Civil War, this song, Silent Night, had become America's most popular Christmas carol in history. By the late 1800s, it was translated and written in over 20 languages worldwide. This song has become a vital part of the Christmas celebration and our culture and everyone's culture, really, around the world. The reality is there are fewer words penned under the inspiration of God that have more successfully told the Christmas story than Silent Night. Would you take a moment and set your hearts right and listen to this classic rendition of Silent Night? hand clap. Isn't that awesome? Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. It's uh, just an honor to be with you tonight. My name is Pastor Derek. If you don't know who I am, if you're kind of new to the Connect environment, uh, we're so glad you're here. You can kind of put up the lights just a little bit, and you guys can get your worship guide that I think you got on your way in the door, and you can open that up. And we're going to get right into our uh, message tonight and um, continue what we've been doing at Connect for a little while, we teach in series. Uh, In other words, it's really hard to teach the whole Bible in one night, one service, one morning experience, and so you kind of do it in pieces or in segments, and then just build on them. The Bible kind of talks about you can learn it precept upon precept, line upon line, and so we just kind of do things in message after message, and we package it in a series. Our series has been Songs of the Savior, where we've taken a look at some of um, the the Christmas carols that you and I have known and loved and kind of grew up on, uh, some of us grew up on um, our whole lives. And the goal was to kind of get past some of just the traditions and the I call them the tra la las. You know what I mean? We just kind of go through the motion, tra la 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 la, but we really don't know what we're singing or what we're talking about. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago in church and how, you know, sometimes we're singing stuff we have no idea what it's about. And so we've built messages around each one of these classic carols. And this one uh, tonight, Silent Night, is a special one. And so if you uh, want to, if you have your. Worship guide. You have, if you had a Bible, or if you want to look on U version, the text we're going to be reading from in just a couple of minutes is taken from Matthew chapter two, the famous Christmas story, and uh, we're going to kind of park there for a little bit, and then um, spend some time in another text a little bit later. Matthew chapter two will be our text, and I'm trying to get so badly out of Zechariah, and I've lost my little placeholder that I had earlier. Anyway. Um, Silent Night, okay, I loved kind of digging into some of the histories of these different songs, praise the Lord, um, into some of the histories of these different songs and kind of pulling out some of the, the background behind them because hasn't it for you brought more meaning to the moment when you really kind of know where the song came from and some of its, you know, roots and heritage? Has that helped you guys a little bit? I know it's helped me. Um, and uh, Silent Night, what I what I want to do is try to personalize that for you and for me because Silent night, if you can put yourself in that place, you can put yourself in that manger scene. There was, before silent night, there were many silent years. Uh, For those of you who are Bible thumpers, between the Old Testament and the New Testament is known as the silent years. There was a season where it felt like God had kind of left the scene. God had left the building. Um, He was, you know, he was on sabbatical. (laughs) <laughs> and um, And, in the middle of that that season of silent years, um, there was a change and it, it wasn 't just a silent night by the manger, in other words, but there were actually many years where it seemed like he was gone and what 's important is that right before this incredible experience that we just sung about or Molly sang about so beautifully, it was actually setting the stage for um, a, really an epic transformation that would be followed up later by a great invitation. And I want to look you know, at the classic care a little different for a minute, and, and again, make it something that you and I can benefit from personally. Maybe you're here, in other words, and God seems silent to you. Um, maybe you're here and, and it feels like you haven't heard his voice ever or in a long time. And it seems like he's silent. I don't know if you've ever prayed something and you're just in frustration have just ever said something either under your breath, out loud, or in your mind, like, God, are you listening? David spoke like that to God. And, and he seems distant. He seems far away. And sometimes you, you, you say things like, I could really use your help right now. I don't know if you ever watched the movie Bruce Almighty. That's one of the things I like about that particular movie. You know, he's yelling at God, you know, smite me, almighty oh smiter. You know, one of those moments. I don't know if you've had those moments, but I love the honesty and sincerity of that. And what's cool is that 2,000 years ago, those silent years, it it literally all changed. And the arrival of Christ made it possible for there to be a real swing in the kind of climate uh, in our spirituality. It made it possible for us to have a relationship with God, not through someone else, a priest or a prophet, but through Christ. We all could have a relationship with him personally. and It's profound, and it's powerful, and I'm going to come up with as many P words as I possibly can. Potentially. But the arrival of Christ changed everything, and what breaks the silence from just a beautiful song to a meaningful moment, which is what we've been trying to do this whole time, actually is this. We have to sometimes embrace the silence for the silence to be broken. The reason many don't hear from, experience, and embrace the full meaning of Christmas, which is really Christ with us, that's the meaning of Emmanuel, God with us, Isaiah 9-6. Many don't hear, don't experience, don't embrace it because perhaps we haven't quieted our soul long enough to be able to hear from God. Maybe we need to silence our soul so we can have a night where the silence is broken and see the God signs in our life that are actually all around you. Sometimes you can probably, I bet if I took a survey, there are many people in this room that if they looked back at their, the span of their life, there were these different God moments, these moments where, what does that mean? Where you that, that had to be God. Wait a minute, that, that was definitely, are you, are you doing something? What's going on? You know? And other times it's not ambiguous or a maybe it's a it's a definite like that wow, that was God. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Willing to say that you identify with what I'm talking about? And so there were these moments where you recognized. It's the same thing that you experience in natural relationships we experience with a supernatural relationship. There are times where I've been driving along with my kids, and we've been listening to the radio, and I have no idea, you know, because I can't keep up anymore with all the changes changes in music, and, you know, it's, it's constant, you know? And, then, and my kids are like, it's like a shark. You know, they have to keep moving or they'll die. You know what I mean? They have to keep listening to music or they'll die. They can't have the silence. But every now and then you have these moments where the radio's off. It's just you and one of your many children. In my case, or if you have children or if you have uh, somebody who's like a child to you, or a close loved one or a friend, and it's in that silence that something significant happens. They kind of open up. There's a, there's a moment of vulnerability. There's a moment of truth. There's a moment of impact. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And they're rare, but when they happen, it's like, wow, that was that was powerful. Same thing God wants to do for you and I. But we sometimes have to have a, a quiet our soul in order for that to happen. So what I want to do right now, before we even get going any further, is I want to pray and I want to ask God to kind of punctuate what we're getting ready to talk about. So would you just close your eyes for a minute and just... Kind of recalibrate your soul just a little bit from all the hustle and bustle and all the busyness and all the lists of things we have to do and all the people we need to see and all the activities of the day. Holy Spirit, I pray that you come in this room tonight and and make something that was old, an old story, and make it new. Something that has been a tradition, make it fresh, make it come alive for people. I pray that you help us to quiet our soul on this silent night where we celebrate really a Savior that's come to earth, God with us. I pray that we actually experience him with us right here in this auditorium. The presence of Jesus be welcomed in this place as we talk and as we discuss your word in Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to be reading from verse 1. Just hang tight. I'm going to read a little lengthy portion of Scripture. If the background of this particular text is uh, unfamiliar to you, it is not a sign or a lack of intelligence. In fact, it's actually a pretty complicated Scripture. I actually take a lot of comfort that Jesus came into a world filled with complications, and he takes things that are overcomplicated and simplifies them. Amen. And so there. Were, just so you know, before I read this, there was this king Herod. Everybody say Herod, so I know you're with me. Herod was an ungodly king. He was a bad king. Uh, he was a very self-centered, self-ambitious, just terribly selfish person. And he was he was he was an evil king. And he was threatened by the uh, the onset of um, a king who would arrive, this promised Messiah. And so he wanted to sabotage the ultimate birth of Christ. It had been foretold and prophesied. and There was a great buzz about a coming king that would come and um, and this promised king to be. And so he actually went to such lengths and extremes to issue a decree or an edict or whatever you want to call it where he just said any, any boy under the age of two was to be killed so, as to because he did some of the timelines on things and to be assured that that Messiah would never come to be and there'd be no king to threaten his, his kingship. And in the middle of that chaos and that craziness and really that uh, horrible uh, circumstance, um, God sent a sign to the world <clears throat> to help those people. He sent a sign, He sent a star. And I want to talk about a similar sign that God is sending us today. I think God sends us all some stars in our life. A star and a sign are kind of synonymous today. And I pray that today you have a personal encounter with Christ that is much like they had back then. And there's something maybe that God wants to do in you, through you, and for you. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during uh, the time of King Herod, the Magi, those were star gazers, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Remember that word, worship him, because that's significant. A stargazer became a worshiper. When King Herod heard this, and was, he, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, the chief priests, teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be a shepherd of my people. This is a New Testament uh, quotation from an Old Testament text from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. One of the reasons I'm a strong follower of Christ is mostly because not of the information that i've received it 's not because of an argument, but it 's because of an experience. Most people can debate about all kinds of things till the cows come home. but a person with an experience is, is, is always going to trump someone with an argument amen but but here's a great argument a prophetic uh, prophetically, these things were foretold, foretold hundreds of years before. In Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it was talked about that the Messiah would come to the earth 740 years before his birth with such specificity. And so this is just another example of that. In verse 7, it says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for an, a, a, the child. And as soon as you find the child find him, please report to me so that I too may go and worship him. I always hear music in the background on things that I'm reading, like dum-dum-dum, because that's not what was going to happen. He's like, ha ha, ha ha you know, he's an evil, you know what I mean? He's like, despicable me, he's a bad person. That's the kind of picture I get of King Herod, despicable me. He was bad, okay? And so he wasn't going to worship him, he wanted to kill him, all right? And so then it goes on, it says that after they had heard the king, they went on their way. What's that? That's another, words of, that's another way of saying they didn't do what he said. They went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them, listen, until it stopped. Everybody say it stopped. it stopped. The star they saw in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. This is incredible. A star stopped. They traveled thousands of miles following the star, and then it stops directly over where a child was. This is amazing when you think about it. There was another time in Scripture, Joshua chapter 10, where it talks about um, Joshua uh, and, and the Israelites were battling the enemy. And they were, they were pouncing on the enemy. But there were so many people to defeat that if there wasn't daylight extended, they wouldn't actually be able to defeat them all. Like they, they couldn't have night. If night fell, the enemy would get away. Or they, and so Joshua prayed that the sun would, would, would stop. It would stand still. And that's what happened. And so the sun stood still, and jo- I think it's Joshua 10, for, for I think it was three days and three nights. Just froze. And so they were able to defeat the enemy. The sun stood still. This is another example. There's actually a guy, an author, Stephen Furtick, if you, some of you know who he is, is, a famous preacher and also author, and he wrote a book, The Sun Stands Still. You could call this, this could be the sequel, The Star Stopped. You know, the star stopped or stood still as well. So, so but, but here we see... A star that shepherds fall day after day, it starts, it stops directly over this baby and it just stood still. Now, I'm not gonna talk to you so much about the science of this. I don't know if it was an actual star, I don't know if it was an angel, just really bright. Some people have talked about this, you know, planets all align themselves perfectly right over that spot. Listen, I'm not here to talk about the science, the smarter people than I am on that. I'm here to talk so much, not so much about the science, but the symbolism of this. What does it mean to you and to me today? Because this is a beautiful symbol of how when God encounters our lives, like he did the Magi and those that were there. And by by the way, it wasn't just three wise men. Three wise men presented gifts, but there were more than that there. Uh, That's, um, you know, maybe the common story, but it's biblically inaccurate. But it's as if time stopped right there. When that star stopped. And everything changed. Everything changed. So here's your big idea. Here's the thought for the day that I want you to go away with. When, when When a star stops... Everything should change. Hey, when a star stops, everything ought to change. I look at the birth of Jesus and I think about um, who he was and the fact that he didn't come during the Super Bowl at halftime in the, in the most, you know, um, media-exposed, people-exposed environment. No, he came in an obscure place in Bethlehem at a, in a time of silence, where you know it, God's voice seemingly was, was, uh, was offline. And suddenly, in the middle of all of that, a star stops over this baby, and it became a dividing line in human history. The star in its arrival in Bethlehem was a dividing line. The calendar that we now use and operate under was affected because of this event. A star stopped in Bethlehem. What other event can we say that about? There isn't one. Some say, uh, you know, the older generation, a little older than me, you know, they can remember when they have these experiences. They remember things in the Great Depression, or they maybe remember when when Kennedy was assassinated. You know, I'll never forget where I was that day when that particular thing happened. And and you and I and everybody in this room can probably, for the most part, uh, depending on your age, you can remember when the Twin Towers were dropped. You probably remember where you. I remember where I was. I remember who I was with. There was a line in my life where before and after that was that was a life changing. It was a defining moment. Let's just say, maybe it's in some people it was life changing. For some people it wasn't. For some people it wasn't as personal and as impactful. And so uh, you know it might be for some. I think about it in our area. You know where uh, just recently we celebrated. Celebrate is not the right word, but we had the memorial of the Sandy Hook shootings. A lot of people were affected by that in our area. Or the Boston bombings. Anybody, if you know what I'm talking about out there, you're resonating with this? But in all those incredibly uh, impactful events, time didn't divide. The calendar wasn't altered forever by those things. As, as, As much force as they had and as much impact as they had on people's lives, Time didn't divide. I remember, you know, some defining moments in my life to just bring it a little bit, a little more levity to this and take some of that, put some air back in the room. But I can remember the first time I watched Rocky. The first one. I, we had a, a, a guy in my neighborhood that I watched that with, and he was older than I am. And he said, he, he called me son at the time. He said, son, I'm getting ready to introduce you. You're getting ready to cross over. When you sit down and watch this movie, like, and, and, and I can remember the violence and the, the pummeling of somebody's face and, and the testosterone that maybe for the first time began to, you know, fill my veins and, you know, and it was amazing. It was amazing. It was life changing. It was a defining moment for me. I became a man that day, you know, in a way. I can remember later on, you know, that because of what happened that day, then when I would watch, you know, as a man, the movie Gladiator, Gladiator is just, it affected me. It was never the same after that. I cried. I've watched Gladiator like 20 times. One of my favorite movies of all time. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of Gladiator. You can just, just, deal, with, just deal with it. I remember having one of my friends watch it. I'm like, you know, son, I'm about ready to make you a man. Sit down here and watch Gladiator with me, you know? Here, why, do I, why do I make those comparisons, okay? Because it's one thing to talk about certain things historically, but it's quite another to talk about what effect they have on you personally and, and what the birth of Christ means in your life. If you're new to Connect, let me just say this. It's just a parenthetical. It's a little pause, a little commercial on the side. Like, when we talk about stuff at church, like, it's not like tralalas and kumbayas and, you know, Pastor Doritos. It, it, it's, it's how does this book... And what's in it apply to my life, not just when I'm at church, but when I leave. How does it apply to life? And so it should should connect to real life. If it doesn't, that's why people don't want it. Don't want it. Jesus was attractional. People wanted to be around him and listen to him, and people wanted to follow him. Not because he made them do it, because they had to do it. He didn't have to sell himself. He didn't have to promote himself. He had no promoters. He didn't have Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. He didn't have any of that kind of stuff. He didn't say, you know, see me down by the Sea of Galilee. I'll be there tonight. You know, I got a big sermon on the mount. it's called. Sermon on the Mount. There's a rapper that's going to do a whole background thing on that. No, people just wanted to be around him because he was so real. That's what Christianity is supposed to be like. Can I have an amen out there? Amen. And so what does this all have to do with, with, with us tonight? That's, we need to compare some things. So I started thinking about some momentous happenings in my life that may relate to you in your life. Some dividing lines the Rockies in your life, those experiences that you've had where you kind of, you were here, and then after that, you were here. You were just, you were not the same anymore, and, for, and, and I'm certain that you've had things like this happen in your life, and where you were never the same, or you shouldn't have been the same after that, and, and where you were forever different, a different person, and there, I believe, are some things in our life that have such force in the event, these defining moments, these These meaningful moments, it's out of the mundane, it's almost miraculous, maybe it is, that your whole life has changed forever. And and I'll give you some examples, because I believe sometimes the best way, again, to understand them is to compare them, because comparing them helps us draw lines that sometimes we all need to cross. The biggest human decision or line that I've ever drawn was the decision to get married. My wife's at the back, but it was the biggest human decision in my entire life. Uh, I could draw a line and say, this was BM, by the way, that stands for before marriage in case anybody misinterprets that. Come on, this is church, don't get gross. BM, and then you could draw a line, and then there's AM, after marriage, okay? So before marriage, um, and after marriage, there's a major line there. Does anybody know, all you married people shout out at me if you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? Some of the married people are scared to raise their hand, I'm afraid the wife will smack them or something like that will happen, um. In other words, you, you went into marriage, and you had an idea what marriage was going to be like. You had a certain expectation. You had a certain notion of what it was going to be like. And then in some cases, no, my case, it's just been nothing but just roses. <laughs> no, it really has been wonderful. My, my wife's awesome. She had some before, more before and after uh, you know, issues with me. But, but before marriage, there were some, there were some things Before marriage, I thought that my wife would, you know, wear one of those really nice, you know, things to bed. I'm just gonna keep it real, okay? But instead, when we first got married, she wore this T-shirt that she had since the seventh grade. You know what I'm saying? The one that could walk by itself to the bed. You know what I mean? You know, I I imagined that when we got married, you know, that, you know, I'd come home and she would greet me at the door and have one of those leave it to Bieber aprons on, you know what I mean, makeup perfect, you know, kids are all tucked away doing homework silently. (laughs) There's a home-cooked meal, candles lit, you know, honey, how was your day? Oh, let me take your briefcase, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know why, I had that notion, but you know what I mean? But it, it wasn't like that. It was like, here's the baby, the SpaghettiOs on the, you know what I mean? And the kid's in the bathtub, and he pooped in the tub. You know what I mean? That's what, that's what happened. It was different, very different. You go into marriage thinking one thing, and you find out it's completely different than what you thought. And before marriage, she was hoping for Prince Charming, you know, who would sweep her off her feet, and after marriage, she was hoping for a man who would sweep under her feet and help clean up around the house and pack up and put things away and meet her you know, when she comes home with the groceries, as I did this morning because I've been trained after 22 years. It took me to figure that out. Before marriage, you know, you, guys, we hoped that we could cuddle with our wives on the couch. But after marriage, the couch was a place you went in an emotional puddle because you got kicked out. Of the bedroom. Now, I just want to declare after 22 years of marriage, I have never slept on the couch, okay? I'm a real man. I sleep in the guest room. (laughs) Okay? That's all right. It's all right. Before marriage, you know, men, before marriage, we don't understand women. After marriage... Some things never (laughs) seem to change. You know what I'm saying, man? Be careful there. Don't be too loud about that. It's, it's, it's. You know, there's just things that are different before and after. And then we have these other lines of another major. Say, well, I'm not married, you know, or I am married. And but, I, I, okay, that's all you got? No, I got something else. What about when you had kids? Before kids, after kids, B K A K. Come on, somebody who has kids out there. You know what I'm talking about? Things changed. You have these little. You know, rugrats in the appearance of human beings, you know, sometimes manifesting demonic behaviors at different times. You didn't believe in a devil until you had kids. Then you saw several different times. Need I say more out there? You know what I mean? And kids, they, they, but yet the other side is kids show you how to love. I mean, you learn how to love when you see your kids, They, they teach you about God. All right. It changes the way you view money. It changes the amount of money you view. That's true. It's a dividing line. It, before, before kids, it was it was peace and quiet at dinner time. After kids, it was peas and carrots all over people's faces at dinner time. You know, before car- before before, you know, when we before kids before carrots, see, see that's what happens, kids mess you up. Before kids, you know, you, you got up at 10 a.m. on Saturdays to watch football. After kids, you get up whenever one of those kids says so to watch Dora and Diego, you know, because your TV has been possessed by all these crazy things. You know, and somebody out there like, you know, I remember I was one of those, you know, people, you know, that says these things, you know, well wait till you have teenagers. I mean, just wait, just wait to have one of them. You know what I mean? And I used to say, I never got any sleep. You know, I never got any sleep. I was, you're always, always up. One, you know, Stacy you know, did more of this than me. I gotta admit that. But in, you know, there's like 10 years where we never slept through the night because we had four kids. But then when they got older, we didn't just sleep with both eyes open. I mean, we didn't sleep. We just kept both eyes open. But then they, they became teenagers. Now we just sleep with one eye open. <laughs> you know, it changed, it changed. So there's these lines. I remember when, um, I became a pastor, a, a line in my life. This was a big line in my life, and, and, and there's it was, it was one thing I found out is that um, after I was installed, I had one person say, what do you call the thing when you became a pastor? It, what is it, incarceration? I'm like, is that a prophecy? No, uh, No, installation. Anyway, when I was installed, I can remember being given and feeling this weight and this responsibility for the people, and it was really different. I, it, was, it was a big change. It was a line in my life. But before I was a pastor, BP, I had this image of just, you know, feeding the sheep and just doing what I'm doing right now. I mean, as part of that that I got that. I, I received that. I, I understood that. But after AP, I realized that sheep bite not as funny to you as it's funny to me, but it's pretty funny. She bites, it can hurt, you know, and I used to think we're going to, you know, um, I, I remember before I was a pastor, I used to think, what would it be like, you know, uh, why will they come, who will come to church, and now, now, and I don't mean this braggadociously, but now it's a whole different problem, it's like, how do, we, how do we meet all the people's needs, and how do we take care of all the people that are coming? It, it's changed, but before I was a pastor, the Bible was a, um, is a book of information, and I wanted to study it. I want to know as much about it. I wanted to have an answer for every question. And I wanted a timely word, and an app reply. And I wanted to have a, an answer in season and out of season and all the things the Bible said and blah, blah, blah. But now I realize that if you're really going to help some people, this, this book, it has to become a living testament to people. It has to become a, a, a letter written on human hearts that changes people from the inside out. Everything changed when I became a pastor. But what's burdening me this Christmas is that we all walk through these examples, and we could walk through many more, and you have your own, and you could say about the examples that I've given you, well, of course, Pastor D, everything changes when you get married. Of course it does. It's a totally different thing. Two people become one. You have your life, and you had your life, and now you're joining those things, and you're doing things together. Of course, when you had kids, of course everything changes, because you know if if you didn't know everything was going to change when you had kids, you shouldn't have kids. Of course, pastor, when you became a pastor, everything should change. There should have been a dividing line because you took an oath and you took a vow and you made a commitment right up here that you wouldn't chase the girls, the gold and the glory. And you're going to live a life of integrity. You're going to be an example. And he who teaches will be judged more. You said all those things. Of course. Of course there's, it would be a change. Of course it should be different. And so if that's true and you apply it to you, not just to my life, why is it that so many people have this vague allegiance or belief in God and Jesus Christ that has not become the essential dividing line that marks their life forever. By the way, Merry Christmas. <laughs> in other words, Second Corinthians 5 says this, in Christ Jesus, if anyone, if, any, if conditional, two-letter word, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, the old is gone old life, BK, BP, BM, whatever, BC. The old life is gone. The new life has come. You're a new person. You're a different person. There's a dividing line. And again, I don't get it. I don't get it for myself sometimes in certain areas how so many people can be so nominal about something that has split time in two and changed time forever. When the star stopped... It was a sign that nothing should ever be the same again. And, and, and this day, tomorrow, you could say Christmas Day, when we, when we celebrate the Savior's birth, His birth, it changed everything. It was, it was a game changer, as my son just said. The birth of Christ is not supposed to be some kind of footnote or add-on or bonus material. No, it is the thing, the birth of Christ. It should be a line in your life, and that's where, that's where it stopped. St- when the star stopped in my life, I know when that happened in my life, and I want to ask you, when, does, when did the star stop over your life? When did you stop being a stargazer and worship what was under the star? The star symbolizes a life change for you and me. Are you guys getting this out there a little bit? I think some of us, we, ha- we, we don't get this today, some, some see the star represents signs. Some of us see the signs that God is moving, God is real, God is trying to connect with me, God is calling me, and, and sometimes we blame him instead of run to him, and we miss, we miss the point, point. and sometimes we turn down the volume, or we turn up the volume so we don't hear him in those silent nights, in those silent years, but remember this, the signs are there, the stars are in your life, there are markers in your life, defining moments in your life, But many see the stars, but many don't worship what's underneath them. They don't bow down like the Magi did that night to the baby Jesus. We all must bow down. We all must fall down and worship him. Seeing the star, seeing the signs will save no one. Christmas is not that the star is coming and everything's going to be all right. We must all bow down and surrender our lives to him. Christmas is we've crossed the dividing line. And if that's true something should be different after that. And I would just ask, you know, the rest of this message will sometimes, maybe so far, could seem like an accusation, I promise you. It's not. It's an invitation. That's what Jesus came to do, is give us an opportunity. John tells us that Jesus came in grace and truth and we beheld his glory, the glory of God the Father. But in order to embrace grace, we have to first embrace truth. I can't, I think if Jesus was here, he'd say, I can't save anyone who doesn't recognize or acknowledge they need to be saved. That they're actually lost without me. That you're actually in darkness. You're actually, pardon, pardon the toughness of this, condemned already. He didn't condemn us. The Bible says in John 3, 17, For God so loved the Lord that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. His job wasn't to condemn. His job was to save. We already were condemned. We're already dead in our transgressions already. But to get grace, that's the wonderful thing about this faith, this this Christian thing in a nutshell is he didn't say, hey, cross the line, but without first doing it for us. That's the wonderful thing I love about him is that he not only identified with us, but he substituted his life for us. The truth always changes you if you receive it, but when Christ comes into your life, everything should change because of the truth. So here, here's what I'd say. Maybe God led you here. <laughs> and it's here for one purpose so that you could cross over. And I'll make it like I'll say it like this from separation from God to being close to God. From maybe a life of sin. Listen, we all stumble in many ways. This isn't a judgmental statement, it's just reality to righteousness, to, from hopelessness to hope, the blessed hope. Maybe it's from, you know, a life without purpose to a life with purpose. I just encourage you to cross over. Don't flirt with the line any longer. Have an encounter with Christ this Christmas. And if you're ready, I would say this, and this is what happens sometimes because this is how the enemy of our soul works, but don't do this. Don't don't, don't listen to this and say, yeah, you know what? That guy up there, yeah, he's right. In a measure, he's right. I agree with him on some stuff. Most stuff, yeah, okay. Uh, I, 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 you know what? That's right. I got some stuff going on. These people don't even know. I got some stuff going on in my life. It's messed up. And so I, I, need, to, I need to get me some of that religion, yeah. I need to, I need to start doing this. I need to start going. Yeah, I probably should go to church. I probably should start reading my Bible. I start. I need to start praying. And you say all these things you're going to start, and then you switch over to that to all these things I got to stop doing. I got to stop doing this. That's a bad scene for me. I got to get out of that. That relationship's not good. I got to stop doing that. I got to stop, you know, behaving that way. I got to stop going to that website. I got to stop. All these things, start and stops. Don't do that. Don't go to that because what you've done is you've gone back to exactly the way it was before Christ came. You started going back to rules and regulations and laws, and that's what they did before. They had to make sacrifices for all they did, and they had to go to all these works to to try to be okay with God. See, it's not what you do that saves you, it's what's already been done, and putting your faith, hope, and trust in that. That's what will save you. Don't go to that. It's been done on the cross. The cradle was so significant because it pointed to the cross. What the cradle announced in Matthew 2 was accomplished on the cross in Luke chapter 23. This is a powerful text that I'll just read you quickly from Luke 23. Are you still with me out there? Come on, somebody. Help me preach. Luke 23 says this. It says, it was now, Jesus, it was was on the cross. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour for the sun stopped shining. Everybody say the sun stopped. A star stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last. On one side, when he came in, the star stopped, and it lit over the most important person that would ever come to earth. And only years later, a star over him would turn away so that Jesus could go from the cradle to the cross. And cross over for you and me so that we could cross over like that by faith. He died on the cross, the dividing line for you and me. He didn't ask you to do something that he wouldn't or didn't do himself. For he himself is our peace. And he has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, it tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. And so when you look at the star and when you look at the stars in your life, the signs that God has brought into your life, what what, what, if a God, what if God himself has stopped the star over your life right now? What if this isn't an accident? Well, you know, I'm just coming here to check a box, you know, and do church with some people. What, what if it's more than that? What if the divine maestro of all of this knew what he was doing? I would just say this. Will you watch the star as, as God is speaking to you, perhaps, through a, a, a broken vessel, will you just watch it, or will you worship underneath it? Think about this. As we contrast all the other religions of the world, what other God commands the people to cross the line, but then did it himself first? There isn't one. But I'll tell you this. Jesus Christ, this is tough, demands that we cross a line. He says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But yet, religion says, start this, stop that, do this, do that. But Philippians tells us that being confident of this very thing, that he has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. This work is an inside-out thing, not an outside-in thing. It will not start and finish for you if it doesn't start inside. And it starts with the relationship with Christ. In Luke 23, Jesus shouted, it's finished basically. What the star started, the cross totally finished. In other words, the search is over. If you're here today and you're trying to find meaning in this and meaning in that and trying to find meaning in what you have, meaning in what you do, meaning in your possessions, meaning in pleasure, meaning in power, you're not going to, those are all idols that are supposed to be, it's okay to have those things, but don't let them have you. God wants to be, he wants to be first in every area of your life. None of those things will satisfy. Talk to the woman at the well when you get to, when you get, if you get a chance to talk to her in heaven one day and ask her. God knew her deepest thirst would only be quenched in relationship with God. Living water that comes from God. The search is over. Anyway, enough with the symbolism and the analogies. Let me just give you some plain English here. Let me put it this way. Do you know in your heart, before you leave and go into all your activities and traditions, it's just awesome. Can't wait. Can't wait to hang out with my family and have Relationship, but the most important relationship is what this whole thing is about. Before you celebrate Christ Christmas, make sure you understand that a star stopped, so not that you could just watch, but so that you could worship. And so, if you're here and you know your relationship is maybe distant, maybe disconnected, maybe far away from God, the only way it's going to be right is if you're right with Jesus. And so I just ask you this. If you'd stand your feet, I want to read something to you, and I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to worship in a minute. And while... In Philippians, let me read you this. And this is really, to everybody who may feel a little distant, maybe God seems silent to you. And I would just ask you to quiet your soul in the next few minutes. So that God maybe could speak to you, if you're feeling that silence and you want to have the silence broken, I would submit to you that maybe there's a star over your life tonight, and you can watch or you can bow down. In Philippians chapter two, this is what it says: Your attitude should be like that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. This is what God did for you and for me. Came. Through the virgin, in the flesh, and made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, but being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death, even death on a cross. He crossed the line for you and me so we could do it. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. If God exalted him for what he did, we ought to exalt him too tonight. Can I have an amen out there? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every knee should bow. They won't all bow in this life, maybe, until the end. But we have a choice to bow. If we can choose to bow now. You're in a place in your life in human history. And I might stand right in the gap right now for you. In a way that you might not grasp fully. But you have a chance to willingly subordinate and submit and surrender your life to Christ today. And bow your knee. One day we won't, we'll all have to bow when he comes back. But now you can choose to not watch the signs and watch the stars, but actually bow before and what's underneath the star, Christ. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. With every head bowed, every eye closed, let me just ask you this question. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? Maybe you're here and you've never in essence, bowed your knee to Jesus and confessed him as not only your savior, I believe he died for my sins, but I've made him my Lord. I've submitted my life to him, my plans, my purpose, my preferences, all the things that I put ahead of him. And you said, I'm gonna put all those things at your feet tonight. That's my gift to you is give you all of myself. What do you give a God who has everything? You give him you. What can God give you? He gave himself for you. So you could be in right standing with him forever. But there's no gift that has any value that isn't opened. An unopened gift is a worthless gift. An open gift from Jesus is a priceless gift. It's a permanent gift. It's a very practical gift as well. And if you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus and you don't want to walk out of here, I'm not going to call you out, embarrass you, anything weird like that. Right there in your seat, kind of have your own moment under the star. God's speaking to you. He spoke to me, changed my life. It was a dividing line. It's never. The, I'm never the same because of Jesus and, and inviting him into my life. And you want to invite him into your life and make sure that you walk out of here today and you're never the same. The old is gone, new has come. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's just accomplished by acknowledging that he's God. That you believe he's the Son who paid for your sins and you need a Savior, and that you confess that He's not only your Savior, but your Lord. It's simple, it's A, B, C. It's acknowledge, believe, confess. If you're here today and you know he's knocking on the door of your heart, and you want to know that, I want you to raise your hand, good and high, and say that's me. Would you pray for me, Pastor, before I leave tonight? I don't want to miss that. I don't want this a dividing line. This is this is forever, it's for keeps. God bless you. I see your hand, see your hand, see your hand. Is there anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. head. God bless you all the way back. God bless you all the way in the back. Ma'am, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? God bless you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Church, and those that raise your hand, I want you to join me in this prayer. Would you just this prayer won't save you? Believe it in your heart will. Let's say it from your heart. Say, Jesus, I believe you came a virgin birth. I believe you came in the flesh. I became, I believe you came and lived a sinless life, and then you died for my sins so that when I die, I could be with you forever. I thank you that the cradle announced what the cross accomplished. And I receive by faith today the forgiveness of my sins and a relationship with him that is not based on what I do, but on what has been done in Jesus' name. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you seal that prayer by the Holy Spirit in every person's heart. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt it's not what they could do. They could sin them all, make a mistake. They just confess their sin and they're made right with God. They're not divorced from God. They're still in the family. They're still part of the family of God. But they're going to grow in their relationship with Him, not to prove something to Him, but to please Him because they love him, because God loved them. So he so loved them that they want to so love him back. I pray in Jesus' name that every person be literally changed. The old is gone. The new has come in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Now listen, I'm going to ask the ushers to come. Yeah, let's give the Lord a big hand clap.